So Romans chapter 10. Um, let's read it again just for the sake of emphasis. Romans chapter 10. Let's read uh, the entire chapter. Verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if we confess with your mouth, that if, I'm sorry, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tithings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. And I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I have I was found by those who did not seek me. And I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. So chapter 10 
is in between chapter 9 and chapter 11, obviously, but it, it's, it's the, the Spirit's assessment of why Israel does not believe. It's the Spirit's assessment of why Israel does not believe. And, and I will tell you this, I, I don't want to, I don't want us to take such a narrow view of it, because I think this is also true of anyone who does not believe. What we find to be true here of Israel is also true of the individual who rejects the call of salvation. The, the reasons are the same. The hang-ups are the same. Why someone is not saved. But before we delve into it, let's get a little context first of all. We, 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 just, we just had three brothers read chapter 9, 10, and 11. And, and in this great epistle of Romans, we have this three chapters dedicated to Israel. And, and our brother Aaron would, would highlight that chapter 9 is dealing with, with Israel as a nation in the past. And, and in Romans chapter 10, he's dealing with Israel in the present. And chapter 11, our brother Malcolm will continue, is dealing with Israel in the future. And those all these things are true. Is 9, 10, and 11 just a parenthesis in this great letter? Or, or, or does it have a continuing thought? And so I, I do want to point this out, and I do want to highlight this. If you turn to chapter 8, we, we see these very clearly. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Here, here's this, this beautiful section of Scripture concerning the love of God towards His people. And he says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Marvelous words, aren't they? Oh, the, the, the Christian holds on to these words. The argument is from the greater to the lesser. If God would not withhold His own dear Son for me, will He not take care of everything else? Go to verse twenty, uh, uh, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say, Amen. And Paul says, but what about my people? If these words are true to the Christian, if these words are true to to the, the children of God, well, are these true to the Jews? And so we have this, this, these three chapters to elaborate on the fact that God's love is no different to the Jew as it is to the Gentile. And in that respect, we turn to chapter 9. Why don't the Jews believe? Why don't the Jews believe today? Why didn't they believe when, when the Son of God walked amongst them? Well, here's the assessment of the Holy Spirit. First, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I, I love verse 1. And I always get hung up in the beginning of chapters because it's, it's where I spent most of my time. But 
I want to highlight a couple of things in verse 1. First thing, Paul takes a moment to stop and says, brethren. After chapter 9 and all that he said through the Holy Spirit, Paul doesn't want you to think that he's against his countrymen. He, he, he doesn't want you to think that that, that that God and Paul and the Holy Spirit are against Israel. He, he, he pauses and calls to his countrymen. He says, brethren, listen to me. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. My heart's desire is a strong phrase. I, I Listen, you ask me, what is my heart's desire? Well, my heart's desire is to see my family grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord. My heart's desire is to be, to be a help to God's people. My heart's desire is to be used of God. And here the Apostle Paul says, my heart's desire. The one thing I'd ask the Lord for is for the salvation of my people. Never enter these chapters thinking that that, that God is, in a way, done with Israel. That God has set them aside to their second class. By all means, Israel is near and dear to His heart. And here Paul is, is declaring the very same thing. Brethren, His heart's desire is to see them saved. Verse 2. Paul says, I bear them witness. I bear them witness, Paul says. I bear them witness that they have zeal for God. Now listen, here here is Paul saying, I can speak. On their behalf. Not because I've observed them. Not because I've sat around and watched them and studied them. What is Paul saying here? I bear witness because I was one of them. Because just like they have zeal for God, I had zeal for God. Now, but what was the problem with Paul? Well, he had zeal for God, of course. He had an immense amount of zeal for God. But Paul would say here, this is what I testify. The zeal for God was not according to knowledge. Was not according to knowledge. Paul here was not speaking secondhand. He was speaking from personal experience. The issue with the Jew is that they found themselves to be self-righteous by their own works, by their own doings. I mean, you think of when the Lord walked upon this earth, how He, how he, he came across a Pharisee here, a, a, a scribe there, and He would graciously speak with them and graciously present Himself to them. He would graciously perform a miracle before them. And yet many would what? Would say he has a demon? Why? Well, you see what we have here, they would say. 
is far greater. The high priest would say it's better for one man to die for the nation than, than, than for us to lose our place. But you, I, I, I don't want to be too harsh on them. Listen, they had zeal for God. There is something to said about that. Listen, y- y- yesterday was the Sabbath day. And, and, and there's a Jewish community in my neighborhood. And it was 97 degrees yesterday. And you know what? I didn't see them, but I guarantee you if I left my house and drove around, I would see little families at 97 degrees, both a husband and a wife and a little children and maybe even a stroller, walking down the street, fully clothed in nice clothes, in the heat of the day. That's zeal. That's zeal for God. That's, there's, listen, there's something to be said about that. Now, now, granted, the, the, the zeal for God, not according to knowledge, is, 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 it's not really worth anything, is it? But the, the, the challenge to you and I, and the question that we should ask ourselves, do we have zeal for God? Do we have zeal for our God? And what does that look like? Yes, I wasn't out there in 97 degrees, uh, you know, sweating it out, fully dressed in nice clothing. But do we have zeal for God? Paul would continue to say, for they seek, um, for they were ignorant of God's righteousness and they sought to establish their own. And that, that is the, that is the hang up, that is the, 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 the crux of the matter for the for the, for Israel itself. This is the issue. They wanted to do it their way, and they veiled it in 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 in, in God's religiosity. You see, the the, the Pharisees of, of Jesus' day ran around with these very long tassels on their side, and the longer, the better. They ran around and they, and, and they, those who fasted would, would put, would put sackcloth and ashes on their face and they walk around. Woe is me. Woe is me. I am fasting. I am so spiritual. They sought the, 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 the nicest seats in the synagogue. Apparently these aren't very nice seats for Christians. But they sought the place of privilege. But it was not according to knowledge. You see, all these things that they were doing were not really of God. They weren't really in a, these were these were rabbinical traditions. These were things that they came up with. So when 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 the Lord is walking through a grain field, and his disciples are hungry, and it's a Sabbath day, and his disciples would would grab a handful of of wheat and rub it between their hands and eat the kernels. The Pharisees would say, why? Why do you let your disciples transgress? Don't you know that it is wrong to work on the Sabbath day? (laughs) And the Lord would point to their hypocrisy. You see, the Lord made the Sabbath a blessing for His people, and you have made it a curse. The Lord would say in an instance, hey, listen, which of you, having lost a sheep into a hole on the Sabbath day, 
Would you not go down and get it? Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah, it's my sheep. And in that instance, there is a man with a withered hand. Not, not, Not a sheep, not livestock, but a human being with a withered hand. You're willing to help a sheep, but now should I heal the man? And he healed him. What did they say? Oh, they threw their arms up. You know, I, I, I find it incredibly interesting. The only title the Lord ever gave himself while he was on earth. I could be wrong about this, but the, the one he repeats over and over. He calls himself, listen to this, Lord of the Sabbath. He doesn't call himself Lord, Lord in the New Testament very much. But here, while Jesus Christ was on earth, he would call himself that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Why? Well, because a lot of the, the, the empty religion of Judaism was all enthralled in the Sabbath, in keeping the Sabbath. How to keep it. How far to go. How far not to go. The diet. All of it. All of it were just empty outward expressions. All they did was seek to establish their own righteousness. Now, I've been talking a lot about Israel. But I, the, the question is here. They were ignorant of God's righteousness and they sought to establish their own. And that is clear for, the, for Israel. My question is to everyone here. Is that true of you? Because billions of people Billions of people do the same thing. They desire the same thing. They're ignorant to God's righteousness. They're ignorant to to what God has done for them. And they seek to establish their own righteousness. Yes, you, you may not be wearing tassels. You may not be walking outside of 97 degrees. But you may be doing things your own way. You're guilty of the same thing. And here's the saddest part of it. When we're talking about Israel, he says, not only were they ignorant of God's righteousness and they sought to establish their own righteousness, but listen to what it says. It says, and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It, it, it's Listen, it's not that they, they, they were ignorant and, and, and were completely blindsided by it. They had no clue. Listen, they were ignorant of God's righteousness and his ways. They didn't recognize it. They didn't see it. And when they did, they were encountered with it. When they were encountered with the son of God himself, they rejected it and would not submit to the righteousness of God. Chapter 9 ends with that quotation of that verse. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And Jesus Christ was very much that. He is the that, 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 that chief cornerstone, that stone of offense. That is what causes them to stumble. And even, even when we consider Paul himself, as he here is testifying to the zeal and the, and the arrogance of it, 
Paul himself was guilty of not just stumbling on that stone, but Paul himself would kick the stone until he was captured by it. And this is the the, the beautiful thing of that verse. Yes, Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to the Jew. But what does that second half of that verse say? And whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Yes, Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jews, but they weren't condemned to stumble upon Him. They could have believed in Him and they could have not been put to shame. And many did. Many, many Israelites came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Many did. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. Now, verse 4. Oh, Lord, Lord, help me. We have to go quickly here. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the second hang-up of the Jews. They were trying to establish their own righteousness, but this is the uh, the second hang-up of the Jews, uh, of Israel, is that they, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness in the law. Now, we, we've, we've been going through Romans. What did Romans chapter 3 say of the law? For by the law, no man will be justified, it says. But what was the purpose of the law? It, it, the purpose of the law is to... to the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law. The law was never meant to save anybody. The law was never meant to, to, to make anybody right. We talked about what the law could be. The, the law is like a thermometer, Brother Malcolm said, right? Listen, a thermometer can, can, can be put in your mouth and it'll tell you, hey, you have a 102 degree temperature. Ooh. Wow, you have, you have problems. And it tells you that you're sick. But the thermometer can do nothing to make you better. You can suck on that thermometer all you want, and your temperature will be the same. That's the law. And here, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. What, 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 is, he, what is he saying here? That... that, that, that Christ is the end goal of the law. Galatians chapter chapter 3 verse 24 says this, that the law was a tutor, a teacher, a taskmaster. What was the purpose of the law? Well, the purpose of the law was, number one, teach you that you are a sinner. And you cannot get to God by the law. And you know the second purpose of, the, of this tutor, this, this, this teacher of the law? is to point you to Christ. To point you to Christ. The job of the law was to point you to Christ. You see, Christ is the end goal of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Verses 5 to verse 6, we have this, this quotation from Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy chapter, uh, I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter 30. And, and we have this parallel. We have this parallel of the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith. Here, here the Holy Spirit is going to contrast both. And He's going to use the Old Testament 
to prove his point. What was the hang-up of the Israelites? Well, the hang-up was they were trying to gain their self-righteousness through the law and not by faith. We read that in, in, in Romans chapter 9, didn't we? And so here in verse 6, it says, listen, Moses, which they revered, by the way, Moses, which they admired, Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. And that's all he says. That's all he says about the righteousness that comes from the law. The man or the, the, the man who does those things shall live by them. Actually, that, that quotation is from Leviticus chapter 18, I believe. What does it mean? The man who does these things shall live by them. Well, it's actually simpler than you think. Moses is saying this, and he's writing this in the context of, of Leviticus chapter 18, in that the Lord is God, and you will keep His commandments and His testimony and His statutes. And the man who does them will live by them. The statement is simple. You want to live by the law? You want to go the way of the law? Here's the requirement. Here's the only requirement. You have to live them out. You have to live them out. Some of them? No. All of them. This is righteousness of the law. You, you, you want to go down this path? You have to do all of them. And you may say to yourself, well, come on now. I think we're being a little dramatic here. Listen, we, 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 I could probably muster it. I, I remember as a, as, a, as a young man, my, my dad doing devotions and talking about the law and, and, and the, and the and the Ten Commandments, and, and I'm, I used to listen to the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, they're, they're doable. Most of those, I, I got no problem. I, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I don't have a wife yet. So half of those don't even apply to me. I can do it. I can do it. Very quickly, I find out I could not do it. Friend, if you're here this morning and you think you could do it, I ask you this. I'll give you one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Can you, first of all, can you love anything with all your heart? And, and you may think that you can, but listen, I, I, I love my dear wife. I really do. And, I, I, and listen, my heart's desire is to love her with all my heart. Ask her if I do. I fail miserably. But now, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You want to keep the law? You have to do all of them. Much more can be said. Let's move on. Righteousness of the law. Righteousness of the law, you have to live by them. What does righteousness of faith say? Now listen, righteousness of faith. What does righteousness of faith say? Well, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Moses again. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and he says, it says, you know what it does not say? You know what it does not say? Well, don't say, who will ascend into heaven? Righteousness through faith does not say, we have to figure out how to get all the way up there. 
so we can find God, meet God, and understand God. That's what faith does not say. But you, know, you know what does say that? Self-righteousness says that. Self-righteousness and human pride says that. Hey, 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 listen, guys, that, that is the, the, the start of the whole story. There, there, there's the serpent, there's Eve. Oh, see, if, if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. I just turn a couple of pages over, and, and, and there, is, there is a group of people and say, hey, hey, listen, we can make really good bricks. I mean, really strong bricks. And we can build a tower that can reach God. That's not what faith says. Faith says, hey, listen, you, you, you don't have to go all the way up to get God and bring him down. Well, why? Well, he, he puts it in parentheses for us so we, can, we, we, don't, we don't get lost and we don't get confused. Well, well, because Christ came down from above. So you're saying, I don't have to climb the, the, the heavens to find God and to meet him and to, and to get to know him and to bring him down? No, 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 no. Trying to do that is, is, like, is like building a ladder that, that will never, ever get there. So how do we get there? Well, John chapter 1 says, the Word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And catch this. It says, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How does, a, how does one ever get to know God and who He is? Well, you don't have to go up to, to, to figure that out. Christ came down already. Christ came down and proclaimed these things to you. Hebrews chapter 1. You know what it also doesn't say? Who will descend down to the abyss? Who will go down into the, to the bowels of hell and, and, and bring up Christ? It says, Christ already did that. Christ died on a, on a criminal's cross and, and he died for the sins of the world and he was put in a tomb and he was there for three days. And on the third day, he rose victorious over death and hell. What does the righteousness of faith say then? We know what it doesn't say. No, no, no amount of effort and, and, and merit is ever going to get me there. Christ has already done these things. Now, I, I do want to stop and highlight the fact that the two things that he brings up in these verses was one, his incarnation, and second, his resurrection, which are the two things that stumble the Jews about Jesus. That one, he was the son of God, the anointed, the Messiah. And two, that he died and rose again. But we go back to the argument. What does righteousness of faith say then? We know what it doesn't say. What does it say? It says, verse 8. But what does it say? This is what it says. Listen. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
Listen, the law says, hey, you want to be right by the law? Well, you have to do all of them. You have to live in them. You have to live them out. What does righteousness of faith say? Christ has come down and bridged the gap. And the word is near to your mouth and near to your heart. And what are those words? Paul would say, it's, it's the gospel. It's, it's what we preach to you. It's what we've told you before. And then he elaborates upon it. You have verse 9 and verse 10. Well, one of the most beautiful gospel verses we can have, it says, for, for with the mouth one confess Jesus as Lord. Again, look at the, look at the order. Incarnation. Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus was not just any man. You see, that there's people in this world who will say, oh, Jesus was a wonderful teacher. He's a wonderful man. And we can learn a lot from his writings. But he's not God. Oh, friend, let me tell you, you cannot separate that. You cannot separate God from Jesus from his deity. You cannot separate him, uh, him from the fact that he's the son of God. And that God veiled himself in flesh and came upon this earth and walked this earth and died for your sins and my sins. We confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God has raised him from the dead. The fact that God the Father raised him from the dead is evidence. It's guaranteed that my forgiveness, that the penalty for my sins has been approved by God the Father. And so what is the word that is near you? The word that is near us is that Jesus is Lord and he, and he sits at the right hand of God. That is the gospel. And to the Jews, the fact that he was, he was the incarnate God and that he rose again is a stumbling block to them. Now, I, I will say this before I move on. The, 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 these two things aren't separate. This idea of believing and confessing are, are not two separate things. They're, they're, they're two sides to the same coin. We believe in our hearts Verse 10 would say, you believe in your, in your heart, uh, uh, the heart, one, I'm sorry, with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The idea is here is that with the heart, one puts their trust, their faith, their, they believe in the truth of Jesus Christ and what he did for them. And with the mouth is nothing but the evidence or a byproduct of that truth. We confess him as Lord. Now, we can sit there and dissect the fact because can one confess and not believe? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's plenty of that in, in today's age and there's, there's plenty of that we see in Scripture. Well, I would point you to the Gospel of Matthew. There you have this terrifying scene of this scene of judgment and, and, and men and coming to, to the presence of God and men coming, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful works? Have we not done all these... And Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Can you confess without belief? Absolutely. But to believe is to confess. And now we have this, uh, verse 11, you, you, we have this, the, the same quotation from the end of, of, of chapter 9. Whoever 
whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. The, 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 the call is the same to the Jew as it is to you. I, listen, to the Jew, Christ is a stumbling block. His incarnation is a stumbling block. His resurrection is a stumbling block. But listen, if they were to set their own self-righteousness aside and they were to turn to the living God in faith, they would not be put to shame. They would not be put to shame. Verse 12 says, For there is no distinction. This is the third stumbling block for the Jews, for Israel. For there is no distinction between Jew or Gentile. For the Lord, uh, for He is Lord of all, it says. Uh, for the same Lord over all. Now, now, that's an interesting verse. Right? There is no distinction between Jew or Gentile. And, and, and Jehovah, Yahweh, He is Lord over all. Listen, I, I can sit down with any Jew, any Israelite, and ask him, is Yahweh Lord over all Jew and Gentile? They will say, amen, he is. But look at what Paul says after that. He is rich. He is rich to all who call upon his name. And I would say to the Israelite, is Yahweh rich, shows favor, kindness, Towards Jew and Gentile? Oh. Oh. No, 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 no. See, see, the, to, to the Israelites, they were, they were the chosen people. They were the special people. And the, those Gentiles, they were accursed of God. Yeah, yeah, Yahweh's favor is for the Jew only, not for the Gentile. And here Paul continues to highlight this by quoting this verse from Joel, the prophet. And this, this verse is kind of the, 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 the pinnacle of this chapter. It's kind of the climax of this chapter because in it it all hinges that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who's whoever? Are Jews whoever? Yeah. Are Gentiles whoever? Yeah. What do they have to do? Call on the name of the Lord. And if they call, what happens? They're saved. They're saved. In the second half of this chapter, you have Paul showing us. Did Israel, did Israel have the opportunity? Does Israel have the opportunity, I should say? This is, this is a standard. Whoever calls, God will save. That's the standard. How is one saved? saved? Well, they have to call. Well, then Paul says, look look down at verse 14. He he asks them four questions. Four questions that need to be answered. Are are these, I'm going to call them prerequisites to salvation. Okay? These are four prerequisites to salvation. It is true for the Jew and it is true for the Greek. It's true for every single person here. If you're saved, these four qualifications have to have been met. What's the first one? Well, how then shall they call on him, on him whom they have not believed? They can't call unless they have believed. First one is to call. The second one is to believe. So you can't call unless you believe. What's the next question? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Third qualification is to hear, right? You call into salvation, but before you call, you have to believe. And before you believe, you have to hear. And lastly, how shall they hear 
without a preacher, a messenger. So what are the qualifications for someone to be saved? Number one, I'm going to do it in reverse order, right? Number one, there needs to be a preacher, a messenger. By the way, that word preacher is not, is not, not a guy like me standing up here and, and, and standing behind a pulpit and preaching. That word is, a, is someone who is a messenger, a heralder, one who is burdened with a message. And I will tell you, every child of God is a messenger. There first has to be a messenger. First qualification. Secondly, there needs to be hearing of the message. Third, there needs to be belief and faith. And when there's hearing and there's belief and faith, then there is calling. And then God saves. That is true of me. And that is true of you if you call yourself a child of God. If you think back at your own testimony, it, it was it was someone who shared the good news of Christ to you. It was someone who shared to you what God had did for you. And you heard. And you believed. And you called. And God saved. Those are the requirements. So Paul's saying here, these are the requirements. Did the, did, did the Israelites get a fair shot at this? Did they get a fair shot at this? Did, 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 did they get all the qualifications met to them? Well, let's talk about it. He goes on to say, he says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What was the first qualification? There has to be a messenger. There has to be a messenger. Was a messenger set. Now, now what's interesting is that, that quotation is from Isaiah 52, verse 7, actually. And the beautiful thing about this is, if you, if you go to Isaiah 52, we, we don't have time to go there now, but if you go to Isaiah 52, 7, it, it, it says this. It says, uh, look down at your verse. It says, how beautiful are the feet of him who preached the gospel of peace. Did you catch the difference? My Bible says those. But Isaiah says him. Why? Well, I believe that in Isaiah 52, that prophecy speaking of the anointed, the Messiah. Who was sent to, the, to Israel? Well, the anointed was sent. That is true. Jesus came to his own and his own received them, not the word of God says. And, and Jesus performed all matters of miracles and, and, and taught with authority that has never been heard before in any synagogue. And the message went forth. And what did they do? They took him with those beautiful feet and put a nail through his feet and crucified him. But does God stop there? No. He gathers his disciples and he says to them, listen, it is to you now. Go into all the nations and preach the gospel. Christ, his witness here is done. Now we bear that burden. Why does it say them or those? Because it is your job. 
and my job to carry that message. To carry that message forward. And so the question is, was the messenger sent? Yes, a messenger was sent to the Jew. That's good. So we have qualification number one met. What's the next one? Did they hear? Well, look what it says. Tragic. It says, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? There was a messenger. I, but by the way, all these things are so profound. Consider this. Let me pause and back up for a second. Consider this. Here's the, the God of heaven sending messengers out with his gospel. And this is a simple question, a simple idea, because I'm a simple person and a simple mind. If God sent out messengers with a message, what do you think God wanted wanted to happen? God wanted for his message to be received. God wanted people to turn from their ways and to follow his righteousness. And he uses marred vessels like you and I. His desire is to see men saved, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, it says. And it says they did not obey. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, which is, which is that, that great section of, of the Messiah. Who shall believe our report? Here you have a very important principle. Did they have a messenger? Yes, they had a messenger. Did they hear the message? Yes, they did hear the message. What did they do with the message? They rejected it. They rejected it. Israel as a whole, as a nation, rejected it. Now, I I say as a whole because they're still individual Israelites who receive and turn in repentance. They rejected it. You see, referring back to earlier, right? What does the righteousness of faith say to us? Well, the word is near you. Is that not true? Absolutely, it's true. The word is near you. It's near in your mouth and in your heart. Absolutely, it's near. Well, why doesn't God just give us a little, a little push? Well, God isn't going to compel you to believe. He wants you to believe. And they did not believe the report. They did not obey. Just because you hear, it does not mean they're going to obey. And, and, and listen, if you ever do any type of of witnessing that that is the the reality of all these things. They may hear, but they may not obey. Verse 17 is a beautiful verse. And I think it builds on that. For he says, so then by faith comes, uh, I'm sorry, so, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, God uses marred individuals like me to share his word. And he uses marred vessels like you to share his word. You are messengers. 
You are, 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 are vessels who carry the, 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 the gospel of God within you. Your, your very action, your very testimony speaks to those around us. Our words speak to those around us. And, and we are to be willing to share and confess His name. But, the, but to the hearer, God is not going to force them. To the hearer, there has to be willingness. Verse 17 would say, hey, listen, faith, belief, trust comes by hearing. Now listen, it's not just, hey, listen, I heard you. My wife tells me this all the time. She says things and I hear her, but nothing ever actually kind of gets stuck in between. It just out the other side. Listen, faith comes by hearing has to, has to come down to the heart. And listen, hearing the Word of God. Listen, when, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm reading to you the Word of God, it's the Word of God. When I'm sharing to you the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the Word of God. And, and, and saving faith, saving belief, is never real unless you receive it as the Word of God. Is that clear? You say, I'm a Christian. Well, are you? Have you received the Word of God as from the mouth of God? When God says, hey, listen, you're a sinner. Oh, well, well, I'm 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 not that much of a sinner. Really? Listen, I can tell you you're a sinner. But if it's this guy telling you, who cares? But if God says, you're a sinner, oh, you should fall to your knees and tremble at a holy and just God. And when God says, listen, my son died for the cost, for the penalty of your sins, that you may be forgiven and may be brought to life. Is it just me saying it? Or is it God saying it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We're out of time. Very quickly, the last two questions. So the Jews had a, the, the, the Israelites had a, had a had a preacher had a messenger, they heard the message, they chose to disobey the message. They did not. They, they chose not to follow or believe the message. And that's why they're on their own belief. They they desired their own self righteousness. Paul would continue to say, "Hey, listen. Their hearing was beyond just what Christ gave them. Their hearing was beyond of just what the apostle." Paul, listen, the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, from the moment he left Antioch to any city that he could could go to, where was the first place he'd go to? To the synagogue. To his countrymen. And there he would preach to them. Doing the work that God began, that Jesus began here upon earth, he continued. And here Paul would say in verse 18, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed they have heard. It's not that they, they, they chose not to hurt or they couldn't. No, they heard. And he quotes from Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and he quotes the fact that, that listen, it's not just Christ who, who bears witness to him, but heavens itself bears to the fact. 
of his good news. Verse 19, this idea of no. One could make the argument, hey, well, listen, Israel didn't believe because, because God changed the game on them. You see, God, God said, Israel, you're my chosen people. Now you're going to the Gentiles. We, we didn't know about this Gentile thing. Here Paul says, did they know? Yeah, they knew. He quotes back to, he goes all the way back to Deuteronomy and quotes Moses himself all the way back at the beginning and says, hey, what does Moses say? I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation and I will move you to anger by the, by a foolish nation. Moses spoke about the fact that the Gentiles were coming in and they were coming in for the sheer fact to urge Israel to repent and to believe and to follow. And he goes further. Isaiah, years later, says the same thing. And Isaiah goes a step further and says, Hey, listen, God says, my plan is this, that those who don't, don't seek me, those who aren't looking for me, are going to find me. Not because they're looking for me, but because I sought them out, Isaiah would say. God's sovereign plan was always to come to the Gentiles. And the Jews should have known that. Israel should have known that. That shouldn't be a stumbling block to them. And the question then goes out. This is how he ends. He ends it absolutely with the, with the most beautiful picture of grace. And here is God saying to Israel, look at the last verse. This is God saying to Israel, all day long I have stretched out my hands. Here is God stretching out his hands to an impetuant, disobedient, contrary people saying, come. Did they have a messenger? They had a messenger. Did they hear? They hear. Here is God with his hands stretched out to them. A genuine desire to have them. Oh, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, how it would have gathered you as a, as a hen would gather its chicks. Could they have believed? They could have believed. But they chose to disobey. I ask you this morning, are you like the Jews? Are you like the Israelites? Do, do, do you see yourself as one who is good? As one who has, who is righteousness within himself? You, you may come on, on a regular basis. You may sit in these seats. You may listen uh, to, to the messages. You may sing the songs. You may pray. But all that amounts to nothing. That amounts to nothing if you don't approach to Him. If you don't approach Him in faith. I, 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 I will do what this, this chapter says this morning. I will declare to you the good news of Jesus Christ. The God of heavens, the creator of all things, came down to heaven, came down from heaven and came to earth, veiled in flesh. And walk this, 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 this guilty earth. Loving mankind. And mankind crucified him on a tree. He walked this earth perfectly. He kept the law. What we could not do, he was able to do. And yet we pinned him to a criminal's cross. And put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and he sits at the right hand of God so that we could be forgiven. That is good news. 
The word has gone out. Have you heard? Do you believe? And if you believe, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. God longs to redeem you. God longs to, 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 to save you and to bring you into his fold. Do you believe? Don't lean upon your own righteousness. Don't lean upon your own understanding. But turn to him this, this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that, that your son would be here on earth and he would say, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. For my yoke and my burden is easy. Father, it is that message that we carry forth from generation to generation. A God who is open-handed, willing to receive all who would come, that whoever calls upon His name will be saved. So, Father, we thank You for the work of Christ. We thank You, Lord, for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for the forgiveness we find in Him. Father, help us to understand these things. Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you in a personal way, Lord. If there's anybody here who, who, who have heard but never believed, Lord. Father, let this morning be the morning. The morning, the morning in which they would, 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 would stop and listen to the word of God and turn in faith. Father, I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.